now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Hi, this is Andrea Martin, and you are listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a Grammy, Emmy, Golden Globe, and Oscar-winning composer of blockbuster films, hit television series, and popular video games. You've heard his celebrated compositions and scores in TV shows like The Wonderful World of Disney, Alias, oh, Alias, Fringe, and Lost in movies such as The Incredibles, Star Trek, Star Trek Beyond, War for the Planet of the Apes, Inside Out, Doctor Strange, Star Wars, Rogue One. That's one title. (laughs) (laughs) Jurassic World, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ratatouille, Coco, and Up, for which he was presented an Academy Award for the Best Original Score, and as timing would have it, he has two movies opening this month, The Incredibles 2 and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. But that's not all. He's also written, arranged, and conducted music for dozens of video games, short films, and TV movies. And in 2005, he collaborated with Disney Imagineering to create new soundtracks for Space Mountain at Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and Hong Kong Disneyland. He's also asked to... He was also. He was also (laughs) asked to conduct the Academy Awards uh, Orchestra for the 81st Academy Awards. He was. And in 2017, was honored with a 50th birthday celebration at London's Royal Albert Hall. In his busy and very prolific career, 
He's worked with everyone from Steven Spielberg to J.J. Abrams to John Williams to Paul McCartney, as well as former guests Richard Kind and Pat Oswald. Please welcome to the show our very first film composer and a man known to his closest friends as Star Wars Stormtrooper FN3181. <laughs> Our pal Michael Giacchino. <laughs> and that's and there's no more time for anything that's else. That's it. That's the show, Mike. <laughs> yeah, thanks well, for coming thanks in. for having me. This was a blast. <laughs> yes. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossus. Please tune in next week. <laughs> did, we get the, did, we, did we get the Stormtrooper number right? You got it right. Yeah. FN3181. That's yeah. it. How, How did you a become a Stormtrooper in Star Wars The Force Awakens? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You know, J.J. Abrams and I have really, we've done everything together. He hired me. Uh, he played the video games that I worked on and hired me for Alias, which got me to Lost, which got me to Mission Impossible and Star Trek and so on and so forth. Uh, but of course, when he was picked to do Star Wars, uh, that was going to be John Williams doing that because that's 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 all his territory. And he said, "Listen, I I feel so terrible about this." He goes, "But I can offer you the role of a stormtrooper." You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to take that. I said, "I'll take it." I said, "That's even better. That's even better than I don't have to do anything except show up, put on right. a helmet, and walk around. It'd be great." Uh, it was literally the most uncomfortable thing I've ever worn in my life. How long did you it have to keep the suit on? About eight hours. Holy eight oh, hours. Geez. And you can't you can't take the only thing you can take off of are your gloves. Uh, you can take off your gloves and your helmet. Everything else has to stay put. And it's just and you can't sit because you're like leaning oh. again. There's no way to sit. It's not it's not fun. How not fun. how do you pee? <laughs> there is a clip underneath. You would have thought, first of all, that they, you know, they made this in 1977, right? How right. many years have passed? You would have thought they would have 40? figured the whole peeing thing out by now. Right. But no. No. You're still wearing what amounts to a black wetsuit uh, underneath all of this armor. So there's this clip. You have to reach down real deep and get this thing out. And then you have to zip down as far <laughs> as you can. And, of course, it doesn't go down as far as you need it. So you have to right. pull down the rest. Of course. All of this while wearing this ridiculous armor, you're in the in the urinal, and it's. It, I wish somebody had filmed it because that probably would have been amazing. <laughs> now, that now, been amazing. I imagine taking a dump was more. <laughs> no, there was no number two that day. <laughs> Not possible. And Not this possible. is in the future. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but a small price to pay for being able to play a, a stormtrooper in a Star Wars movie. Exactly. I got to. I got to arrest uh, the character of Poe Dameron. Right. You know. In in the beginning of the film, Oscar Isaac, and uh, and I frisked him, which which also, by the way, is ridiculous frisking because you can't see anything in that helmet. So all I'm doing is touching him. I'm like looking like I'm frisking him, but literally it amounts to me just feeling somebody up. But you had a line. Did it. he give you a line too? Well, it wasn't my voice in the line. That was somebody uh, else's oh, voice oh, doing, uh, doing the thing, it. you know. So, yeah, now, so I did a lot of nodding and shaking my head. To relax, do you, how do, what do you do? Do you lean against stuff? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, you lean against the wall. They, they had these stools, these extra large stools that you could just lean on, sort of, kind of sit on. 
you know, it was ter- it was terrible, but uh, but it was fun. I mean, you know, and the, the funny thing was, like, we were in London filming this, and there was all these young guys there. Now I'm I'm 50, so when we did this, it was a few years back, so maybe I'm 47 or whatever at the time. All the other stormtroopers were like 21 years old, right? And they had us running up and down these hallways, and it was so hot on the set, and I'm practically dying each time. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I need a break before we go for another one. And all the other guys, they're like these young buff guys that are just running up and down. Ready, we're doing another one. But And yet every time they needed a stormtrooper, they would call for me. And all the other guys would be like, well, why do they keep calling that guy? He's old. He can't even run. Like, what is going on here? You know, but that that's what guilt gets you. They you didn't know, make great, the connection. JJ felt bad, so he let me. <laughs> they didn't realize you were a personal friend. No, no. And you must, like, <laughs> sweat a lot in those. Yeah, I think I lost about 12 pounds just but, in that but, one day. But, but you're so proud of it, I want to point out, too, or that our listeners, that he signs his emails now. It's the little, it's the signature in your email. Yes, yes. FN3181. When, and we, Mike and I hadn't talked in a number of years, and I said, uh, send me your number because I want to do a pre-interview. And he sent this, and this was in the email, FN3181. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, that's a six-digit number. I know that trick. <laughs> but it was he said no it's my stormtrooper number <laughs> see now the funny thing is if you went to one of those autograph signing conventions yes. you know the hell with all the music <laughs> right. that you no, wouldn't it, even have to mention you yes. just have to have a photograph of you in that stormtrooper thing and that is exactly that you are exactly right. People are so much more excited about that a lot of times than they are about the fact that, you know, all the whatever else I worked on. I hope you got headshots for that reason in the in the oh. Stormtrooper getup because one day when you're at a convention down the line and you're selling you know, yeah. you're you're oh, you're, oh, no. you're signing. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> when you're when you're in your when you're in your dotage. <laughs> when you're when you're a man of a certain age. When you're with some. When you're sitting next. When you're sitting next to the guy who was a bank robber in a chips episode. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's so sad. That's going to be me. It's all right. You know what? There are worse. T- there are worse. Worse ways to end your life, I guess. Now we wrote you about Gilbert's. Of course, Gilbert comes up with the most obscure. He manages to come yeah. up with a composer See, I never heard of. I I'm in love. I I'm one of those pathetic monster kids. Oh no, me too. He's a monster. I kid. love it. Yeah. In fact, you know it's funny because when you mentioned the uh, the Hans, right? Hans, Hans Salter. Yeah. yeah. Hans J. Salter. He he actually did the score for one of my favorite movies. Now, I give this talk, and it talks about what I do and everything, and I do it for kids or different organizations. And one of the pictures that I pull up to talk about the different kinds of stories you can tell is a still from The Incredible Shrinking Man. Oh, there you go. And it's, and it's one of my absolute favorite movies. And he did the score for that movie, you know, uh, amongst a million other things. So it's, you know. Well, I, I remember, like, the Wolfman theme. Yeah. Can you sing it? <laughs> I, off key, but <laughs> let's, that's how did you know? Hear it. It would go like da 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 that's how I pitch themes to my, to the directors you I do. work with. You actually do that? <laughs> no. So, I, I think he has perfect pitch, But I pitch, will from Mike. now on. That was actually pretty good. Not bad. 
That was really good. I, I like that. He is strangely musical. Well, he did also Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. And Son you know, of Dracula and House Son of, of Frankenstein. Exactly. I mean, come on. They got, but in those days, those guys were staffers. You know, they were staff workers. They were, it was like going into a room with a steno pool, you know, uh, and, and they were all just there. And he sort of fell into the, the horror genre and they just kept throwing those movies at him. And that was his day job. He would just sit there, go in, okay, what am I writing today? I'm right now, I'm writing The Wolfman. What is this? And for all I know, he could have been like, what is this crap? What? I don't even know what a Wolfman, you know, who knows what the, what his love or disdain was for what he was mm-hmm. doing. Uh, I'm not sure of that, but it's pretty amazing to think in those days, they were just in the same way that the actors were all employed by the particular studios. Yeah. They also had their stable of composers that would be there, and they would just work on whatever was thrown their way. Well, even directors in those days. Direct everyone, yeah. right? You everyone. Know, Michael Curtiz, I mean, Casablanca yes. was just a job. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like those directors, it's like they would call them in and yep. say, okay, you know, it's it's a Western or yeah. it's a comedy yeah. or it's yep. a romance. Bang them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Screenwriters, too. And they would just go and do it. And there's something also to be said about the fact being thrown a project and then having a very short period of time to do it. It seems very different today. And I don't know if the results are any better if you have a lot more time or get to be choosy about what you do. And it's a it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, term, and speaking of Michael Curtiz, then you have Max Steiner as Max well. Steiner. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Nice, yes. nice segue. Yeah. 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 And actually, what's cool about Max, do you know, um, obviously, King Kong. You guys know King Kong. Yeah, of course. I was listening to the score last night, the whole thing. It's so good. It is so good. You could put it on and just listen to it like a record. You can. It was one of the first film scores that just sort of blew my mind as a kid. I remember watching that because I was also obsessed with stop-motion animation. So Willis O'Brien, who did that film... Uh, you know, I was obsessed with that, but then by watching the movie, I would hear this music and be thinking, what is going on? And it wasn't until years later that I found out that Max Steiner, that was really the birth of film scores with King Kong. Because up until then, they would do a lot of stock music. The guys would write a bunch of music and they would be like, I need an action cue. Well, pull it from the action pile. I need a love theme. Pull it from the love file, you know? And uh, they would just use whatever. But Max on King Kong said, you know what, we're, I'm going to take this, what they call a Wagnerian approach, meaning mm-hmm. the Wagner operas, he would write themes for characters or situations. I was going to ask or, you about that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and he said, I'm going to write a theme for King Kong. I'm going to write a theme for Anne Darrow. All the characters in the film get, get a theme. And every time that character's on screen, you're going to hear that theme. You know? And it's a way of guiding the audience you know, to, to, to be with the characters uh, every step of the way. He was the first one to do it, and... Uh, And that process literally hasn't changed at all in all of these years, since 1933. He probably wrote it in 32, I guess. Came out in 33. But it's fascinating. And I've noticed when I was a kid watching the old monster movies, they would have the compositions just like they'd have scenes, out-and-out scenes, that they would repeat in the lesser movies. Yeah, then they would yeah, exactly all of that music was used over and over. It wasn't like it is today where that music just belongs to a particular film. You know, it would be like if you went and saw Star Trek and and my music played and then you went to see, you know, some lesser science fiction film and they used it in that as well. You know, it, it you can't do that now. But then it was just they were just writing it for this and then whatever they could use it for after that, they would. It's interesting that you talk about Steiner. I was doing a little research on him last night. I found an interview with Danny Elfman, 
Uh, mm-hmm. No flies on him either, by the way. Uh, yeah. Great composer. And he was saying just what you said, that in those days it was so early that he had no real references to draw upon. Right. Because no, he, was, they, he, he was originating it. They were they were inventing it as they went along. Yeah. You know, and the thing to remember is these guys really came out of the classical world. They were guys that were in Europe at a time of, right. of you know, political unrest and all of this craziness going on. He was on. Viennese, I believe. Max yes, yes he, yes, he was. Um, as was Hans Salter, right. wasn't he? That's right. I, also, believe, I yeah. believe so. And and you would uh, these guys were fleeing Europe and they would find work either first in uh, on Broadway or in, in New York doing shows playing the piano at shows or whatever. But eventually a lot of them made their way out to Hollywood, and they used all of their classical training, all of everything that they were writing concert music at the time. They were doing more what you would consider um, legit work. Uh, they used all of those influences and all that learning and put it into film scoring. And, right. uh, the, and they became sort of the new. You know, when Mozart was young, right, everyone thinks Mozart, you think of Mozart, you think it's all fancy and highfalutin and everything. But the truth is, if if Mozart was running around looking for jobs just like everyone else, you know, he would spend a few weeks in this small town of Italy trying to impress the guy in charge so that he would hire him to write a mass or write something. You you see a little of that in Amadeus. Yeah. And it's amazing. Work work for hire. Yeah, just read the letters between he and his dad. They're 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 no different than what happens today. Here's something I always wondered with composers, but it's like when you watch a movie, you know, a movie's failing if you go, boy, that what witty dialogue, that's so <laughs> clever. Yeah. Or when you go, oh, what a great shot that was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and it's like. Sometimes I'll watch a movie and the music comes on and I'll go, okay, now I'm supposed to be sad or happy. Right. Here. The, the music's right. too because, obviously yes. manipulative is what yes. you're well, saying. Well, it's, it's because the movie's not working. You know, it's movies not working. And they always think they can fix a movie with music. And you can't. You can't do it. You know, you, if the, the scene has to be working to a certain level uh, for you to be able to write to it honestly – and then for someone to watch it and just let it go into them and let just accept it on the face value. Uh, when you start going, oh, that's pretty music or wow, that's really pushing me to, 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 to feel this was a romance that is blossoming. That's when it's not working. And that just mainly goes back to the scene not working. Now, there are times when just bad music is written, too. So, I mean, there's that as well. But I would say mostly it's when a film isn't working. So you're saying, Gilbert, that you, you start you're out of the story. Yeah. Because you start yeah. noticing, you start you start noticing the, 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 the trappings yeah. and the, yeah, and the you wallpaper. Yeah, you hear and the... the music come on, and when you start going, oh, music is coming on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, That's a bad thing. And I'll go, okay, this movie tells me I should cry now, and <laughs> this movie tells me the characters are uh, getting ready for the big game. <laughs> you know what? I noticed it in sitcoms, Mike, and you must be aware yeah. of this. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I was watching an ABC sitcom, something with Jenna Fisher, who used to be on The Office. I can't even remember it. It was a, it was a, a new sitcom about two exes that decide to live under the same roof. And they, okay. they will telegraph jokes. They will telegraph yeah. comic moments mm-hmm. with music. And it's very intrusive. It's incredibly intrusive. And that's either because they think something is not working comically. Yeah, they so don't have belief in the material. So they say, let's just put funny music on it. But I'm, I'm, I. That is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You know, I feel like if the comedy's not working, then make it emotional with the music somehow. Go the other direction. You know, and and maybe you can do something with it. 
But I have these rules where it's like once in a while you'll get asked, can you make this funnier? And I'll be like, no, that's your job. That, that, <laughs> Gilbert hears like, that every week. Yeah. I'll, be like, I'll be like, no, this one, that was your job, not my job. That was your job to do that, not me. You know, it, but, It's uh, kind of like I've noticed in a lot of comedies I've seen over the years where they're doing some comedy business and the music is nonstop. <laughs> It'll it's be annoying. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah. Well, unless it's unless it's done ironically, like the way Larry David uses it yes, uses the is, hor- the horns and the trombones yes. and, and curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. But he's That's but he's, fine. he's making fine. A, co- a, a comical statement with yes, that, that music. That works great. Right. That is the right way to do it. Right. You know. But a lot of these sort of you know and romantic comedies sort of became this this weird genre all on its own. And a lot of them have this kind of music in it, which is so irritating to me. And it's all done usually with these pizzicato strings. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, okay, now I, I just, I can't stand that. I'm like, and this there's is not that music when the guy and girl are flirting with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll give a look, and it'd be <laughs> so. You must you must spend a fair amount of your time thinking. How do I avoid cliche? How do I yes. avoid? How do I find a way to run in the opposite direction and do something different than this? Yeah, I usually and turn try, it upside down. Like I can give you an example on, on Star Trek, the very first Star Trek. So the opening scene of the film was a scene in where um, and hopefully it's not spoiling anyone but you know what it was out in 2000 should have seen it by now exactly <laughs> um, opening scene of the film um, James Kirk's father is the cat it has to take control of the ship and his wife is giving birth at the same time as they're being attacked by some crazy Romulan ship so he orders everyone to evacuate including his wife who is in the middle of giving birth uh, and he has to stay on the ship by himself. Uh, because, you know, unfortunately, the the uh, autopilot system fails. Anyway, um, and there's a huge action scene. Everything is blowing up. They're trying to get people off the ship, and all of this is happening. And and I remember watching it, and, you know, what they, they use temp music in a lot of movies, you know, because when they're editing, they just need to know if it's working or not, and they'll put temp music in just to mm-hmm. see so I can show studios. And there was all this action music in there. and I, But I kept thinking when I was watching it how sad that situation was. You know, this is, I said, yes, this is an action scene, but the truth is this is like a really sad, sad moment. So the piece of music I wrote was this really slow sort of uh, hymn-like like, uh, piece of music that was speaking to the separation of a family, the fact that mm-hmm. he was never going to meet his father, his father's going to sacrifice himself, all of that. And, uh, and I remember when J.J. was there, he was just like, oh, my God, that's it. That's like – because it really it, – it speaks to the emotion of what – you're trying to say. So sometimes the action is not as important as what is going on inside the head of the character or inside the heart of the character. Interesting. Now, if you do a movie that's a sequel to a movie that some other composer did the music yeah. for, I, I is it kind of like that thing, like if you're an actor and you're cast in a part that another actor played – you're, it's a weird thing because you want to go out of your way not to do the same readings that that yes. actor did. You have found yes. yourself in that situation, haven't I you? I have. Cars, it's, it's, cars a, it's a lot like being a teenager. There's a lot of rebellious feelings that go into when you when you sign on to something like that, you know, and you want to do your own thing. 
So yeah, I did Cars too. I did. Um, I'm trying to think. You well, know, the Mission Impossible s- movies aren't really sequels. They're no, they're, they're, they're new episodes. Ad- you yeah. could almost say they're right. episodes in a way. And you have a a main theme which is fun to use. And Lalo Schifrin, you know, that theme is probably one of the best themes ever if, written, if not on the, the best. Uh, yeah, on yeah. the history of of music, you know, it, it's been used as a gag theme more yes. than it's <laughs> yes. right there with Rocky. You know, you're right. Actually, it has been used in movies that have nothing to do with spies or anything as comedy. You're right. Yeah. You know, uh, so that one that's that just shows you how big that theme is, how how well well you know how well known it is. But the thing about going into a film, say like, well, Cars two, I didn't reference anything that had been done in Cars 1 because this was a very different movie. It was a um, it was a, a spy film, whereas the other one was much more of a family sort of, you know, hometown, all of that. Mm-hmm. I know you both are huge Cars fans, I'm sure. I've seen them both. <laughs> but I was able to do my Lightning own thing McQueen. in that. Yes, exactly. And uh, so I was able to do my own thing on that one. But on even on something like Star Trek, here you have Star, Star Trek, right, which is has a huge legacy of music. Of you course. Know, James Horner, John, uh, uh, Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith, Goldsmith, Alexander Carriage, oh, right. all of these guys who wrote beautiful music all over the years. And it was a really tough assignment. I remember thinking, like, what do I do to, to, to do something that is as good as all the stuff I grew up with and loved with it? You know, and it took me a while to figure out the theme for that film. But it came down to sort of what I was talking to about before, which was um, being told, you know, after writing 17 versions of this theme that I was not happy with, J.J. was not happy with, uh, the producer, Damon Lindelof, who also worked on Lost with me, he said, look, forget about Star Trek. Just forget it. Let's just say this is a movie that we're working on that is about two people that meet and become the best of friends and then go on to have these crazy adventures together. He goes, what would you write for that? And then, you know, that's when I went home, I wrote a whole new thing, and that became the, the theme for the film. Good advice. You know, yeah, and it was sort of the baggage of what came before was really affecting me trying to do something that stood up to that instead of looking for what, what, what was at the core of what the story needed. Oh my God, it's so good. The best good. thing about the film. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I know. And I don't I want to knock Robert the great Wise. Robert Wise or, or no, anything. No, Robert but it, Wise is amazing. He's you know? amazing. But, it, but that score. Yeah, is it's, what, it's beautiful. It is. This, this is another thing I with composers. Whether you're a brilliant composer or just like a regular working hack, it's <laughs> like there aren't there just some chords where you go right away like, okay, this chord with this chord is sad, 
And yes. this chord with this chord is exciting. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's absolutely. the saddest chord? Is it D? D, D minor. D minor. Yes, the supposedly. I yeah. mean, you know, it's right. as everyone says. But, but you know, like if you do a major followed by a minor, that usually invokes a very melancholy feeling, you know. And a lot of it is just personal. So what, what you know, what affects you when you hit those keys? But some of it is very universal as well. And I still think, like, how is it possible people can still write new music uh, after all the music that's already been written and you only have these 88 keys to work with? You know, that's all you have. How does it work out that you can continually do new, you know, bring new things to life? I have no idea how it works. That is actually fascinating. You think yeah. every everything's been done. You would think, you, you know, I think. mean, it's been hundreds and hundreds of years of this, right? And And so many people doing it that... You know, and maybe at this point we are ripping off stuff we just don't even know. Well, let's talk about something <laughs> sad and something emotional, and that is that wonderful uh, opening sequence in in Up, which oh, you yes. obviously which you won an Oscar for. Yeah, and and tell us the story of that because I know part of it or all of it came to you in the shower. <laughs> and Gil, Gilbert and I were talking about that scene and how and, and and I watched it last night. Even to watch it just by itself on YouTube, you will cry. You will eat. I remember watching it for the first time, and it was just storyboards, and I cried. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Didn't you say the, the engineers and the musicians cried while recording Everyone it, while did. laying it down? Yes, and the problem is you have to record it more than once. So you do it once, you do it again, then you cry. You do it a third time, you're still crying. By the fourth time, you're like, we have to stop this because... We have to move on to a different cue. Can we play something a little happier? Because if we don't, everyone's just going to have to call their therapists or, or, wow. or you know. That's how effective it, it, it was. It, it's it was. like that's, that segment, I, it is one of those you could watch as a movie by itself. It, it's yeah. it's one of the most beautiful segments or one of the most beautiful things really ever ever put, ever committed to, to celluloid. I agree. And, you know, of course, Pete Docter, who who directed that film, is a brilliant director. He's one of my favorite people. And Ronnie Del Carmen, who um, who was the story supervisor and really boarded a lot of that as well, uh, they put together just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And on its own, it just speaks to – it has such a universal truth to it. So when you watch that, that is something we are all going to go through at one point on, uh, yeah. you know, in our life or, or another. And you really realize that when you're watching it, you start thinking about the people in your life and your parents or the people that have moved on already. And, and it's really something that speaks to, um, to life in one of its truest forms, you know, life and death. That's, that's how it works. And, uh, and when you're left alone, when someone leaves you how, do you, how do you handle that? How do you deal with that? You know, and we probably all at one point or another, have asked ourselves that, right? I mean, you know, if something like that were to happen, how would you of course. go on? So I really think that scene speaks to you in that way. Now, you know, the first melody I wrote for Up <clears throat> wasn't very good, I don't think. Um, I, I wrote this one melody. It was okay, and it, it sort of has the DNA of what it ended up being. But I remember um, playing it for Pete, and I was like, look, this doesn't feel right yet, but let's just – play it. I played it. And he was like, yeah, it's almost, it's not quite there. And then I said, okay, I went back home in a few days. I was just thinking about it. And I remember being in the shower in the morning and I came up with that melody that, that it ended up being, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, uh, and I was thinking about it and I thought, oh, that, that could work, but I didn't write it down and I didn't, uh, you know, record it or even sing into a mic or any of that. I, I just said to myself, you know what, I'm going to wait a day. 
And if I wake up tomorrow and I can remember this, <laughs> then then maybe that's worth pursuing, you know? And so I let it go. And then the next morning I woke up and I thought, okay, can I, am I, can I remember? And I remembered it. And I thought, okay. And then at that point I went to the piano and I wrote it down and I, I, I played it for Pete and he really loved it. Um, because he really wanted something that had sort of a music box quality, but also could then grow, be big and emotional as well. But it's weird. Sometimes, you know, you, these things go through your mind all the time, and a lot of them are red herrings. So I, I tend to try and see if I'm going to remember it or not. And that was one of the ones where, thankfully, I remembered it. <laughs> it's beautiful. W- watching it again last night, and this is purely a gut response, and I could be way off base, but I, it, it almost felt like a scene from a Chaplin film. Yeah, it, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, you know, when you can tell a story with just um, visuals and music, I think that's one of the most beautiful uh, experiences you can have. Well, look at that last scene in City Lights. Yeah. You know, and, yep. and, and how the music is subtle and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and how it doesn't intrude, but it just. Nope. He was a master at that. That's what I felt like with watching that scene. I don't know, wow. if, that, I don't know if that ever occurred to you. Well, Pete would, Pete would be very happy to hear you think that way. And you, you've said too that you you prefer to work. Obviously, you you're, you're in a position where you can you can choose your projects, and you, obviously mm-hmm. you prefer to work on something that you connect to emotionally. Yeah, yeah, I have to. It's like one of those things where if I'm not emotionally invested in the thing that I'm working on, because you work really long hours, as you know, on this stuff, um, and it, it's I, I just don't get inspired. I actually get angry if I'm working on something I don't like or with people that I don't like. It really just sort of ruins my day. And I, I really avoid that at all costs. And um, so I'm very careful, A, with the projects I pick and with the people that I choose to work with. Now, I work with a lot of the same people over and over. Um, and whenever I, you know, I'm in a room or I'm, I'm on a, uh, I'm about to meet with someone that I've never worked with before, you know, that first conversation we have is extremely important to me because I want to know if I can connect with this person or if there feels like there is some sort of, sure. uh, uh, you know, personal sort of back and forth that, that I can have with them. And if that doesn't exist, then I, I always say no. Don't you say that I, – I saw you say that when you're working with JJ, it's like your two kids in the basement trying to put mo- – yes. trying to assemble models. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's the best. It's like literally when we're working together, it's the equivalent of you know that kid who would come to your house when you were you know from next door and say, hey – you know, is Michael around? Can he come out and play? Can, can, <laughs> it's nice. Go, it's nice you know, that you let's have go, that. Let's go. And then we go outside and we find an old trash can. Well, let's see if we can turn this into a robot. And, of course, you know, we can't, but we try. But that is always what it feels like working with him. And I have to say that, you know, with many of the directors that I work with, Brad Bird, you know, Pete Docter, um, Matt Reeves, a lot of these guys, it, 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 that's the essence of our relationship, that, that love of just making things because we, you know, because of the statement, wouldn't it be cool if, right? you know? And, they, and, they've and, all got to be monster kids in their way. Absolutely. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. Every single one of them. And I really do look for that. In, in of a, course. Uh... Okay, just when the show is starting to get good, we're going to throw a monkey wrench into the works with this commercial word. Gilbert and Frank. Hi, I'm Bobcat Goldthwait, and I'm not dead, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. 
Now, your friends and you've worked with John Williams. Yeah. Now, John Williams seems to be the master of wonderment. Mm-hmm. You know, you, yeah. you know if you want to show something incredible is happening, he's like the perfect composer for that. He has always been the best that there is, you know, and he certainly was a huge part of my childhood, a huge part of my, you know, he, I always refer to him as one of my most important teachers, you know, just, you know, because a lot of what you learn in this business is by watching how other people do it, you know, and other people whose work you respect. Did you tell him that when you met him? Oh, yeah, Yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's been so sweet to me over the years and very nice. And I remember after Up um, 1, he called me the next day and, uh, you know, just to say congratulations and and that he was really happy for me. And um, and we worked together on – oh, this was actually one of my favorite things. We worked together on a a ride, on an attraction uh, for Disneyland. It was called Star Tours. So they were kind of re, redoing it, and they wanted to update the music in the queue line and, and all of these things. So I had this idea. I said, you know what? I said, I said, you know, like, why don't we do all the queue line music in, you know, take John's themes, but do them in the style of, like, Esquivel or, or Denny Martin or, you know, like those kind of guys, which, which I, I absolutely love that music, that very sort of early 60s. RCA stereo, uh, <laughs> you know, crazy, you know, very loungy thing. You put and some they, of that in the first Incredibles. Oh yeah, some of that music. All, it's all over. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm in love with it. But um, so I said, why don't we do it like that? And they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, no, no, John's never going to go for that. John's not going to do. Now, of course, I knew John started writing music like that. In fact. You know, if you listen to his first uh, theme that he wrote for Gilligan's Island, the Calypso <laughs> right, theme, right. you know? Johnny Williams. Like, yes, Johnny Williams. And, yeah. and he had albums, which I have, of all of these great, like, show tunes, but done in this really cool lounge jazz style. Uh, so I knew he's, he came from there. And they were like, well, no, John's not going to go for that. It's got to be very traditional. And I was like, look, let's just at least go ask him. So we set up this meeting. I go over to Amblin Studios where he has his uh, office. I meet with him. I bring these demos that I made of like Yoda's theme, but in this very sort of lounge jazz style. <laughs> and, uh, and I start playing all these for him. And he's like, I really like this. He goes, you know, it reminds me if I did this Scandinavian documentary one time long ago and I did a similar kind of a thing. And I was like, and he goes, I think this is great. We should definitely go this direction. And I was just like, I was like, ha ha, see, see, I told you, you know, um, but I love the fact that he came out of that world. And I, and I, I, I love that. I love that world. And that was, you know, all of that jazz stuff is a huge influence, obviously. We, we've played his – we, we talk about him on this show, and we've been playing the, the Irwin Allen stuff. We were playing Lost in Space, his themes for uh-huh. that and the time tunnel. They are jazzy. Oh, they're great. I, and I, I'm not a musician. I'm, not an, I'm far from an expert on this, but I think you can hear the influences. Oh, absolutely. All of his stuff is – it's beautifully. And, it's, and usually once he's written something, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, that's perfect. Damn it. And <laughs> 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 Henry Mancini. Oh my God! Yep. Before he became really a revered uh, composer, he was working on all of these like kind of low budget sci fi pictures. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know. Uh, well, all of those guys did. Look, think about it. Like Bernard Herman was all over the Twilight Zone yep, TV series, sure was. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Goldsmith did the Twilight Goldsmith Zones. Goldsmith did Twilight Zones, but 
and then you go further back into the, like the forties. You, you if I listen to a lot of um, radio dramas. Like when I'm in the car, I listen to old radio dramas. Oh, that's interesting. You know, Johnny Inner Sanctum, Do- Inner Sanctum, Johnny Dollar, Suspense, all of these things. Uh, and whenever you, you now they say end music composed by Bernard Herman or you know a Jerry, you'll hear these guys' names mentioned. Wow. So they were cutting their teeth in radio, you know, before then television came of uh, of age, and then they started they moved into television, and then eventually into movies. Um, you don't have the similar kind of path now because technology, you know, was advancing at the time, and and it allowed, and they just followed with it. You know, they just went along with it. So I always love hearing the names of these guys in those old radio shows and then on the old television series and then into movies. It's pretty, pretty impressive, the, the, the amount of work that they did and the different genres they did it for. People talk about William. I mean, obviously, when you, when you think of John Williams, you think of the blockbusters. But yeah. you think of the Spielberg movies. You think of Jaws. You think of the Imperial March but you never think of the fact that his original Gilligan's Island theme got tossed after season one. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, it was a, he had to do two actually, Lost in Space themes, too. Yes, that's true. That's right. true. There are two of those. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I think that Gilligan's Island theme was only it only lasted for the pilot. Oh, really? And, and then it was uh, cast aside for the for You're the breaking movie, news. The one, the one we all know. But I was talking about so, like the Poseidon Adventure and the Long yep. Goodbye. Gilbert, a movie you like, Cinderella Liberty. Yes. That he scored Family Did he do Plot. Towering Inferno? Was ta- Towering, was Towering Inferno. Inferno? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the oh, Cowboys. Man. Cowboys is an if awesome score. Go back score. and listen to those scores and see yes. the range of this and guy. What was that music we were playing on on this show? Was that the Dave Grusin stuff? I wonder if it was Time oh. Tunnel. We were playing. Well, yeah. Mike just Mike just uh, met Dave Gruzin a while ago and spent some well, time with I, him. Yeah, a couple few years back, I was in Spain. And I was doing at a film music con- um, festival, and we were doing concerts. And he he and I were doing concerts there together at the same time. And it was he the guy was unbelievable. You know, he was an incredible professional. He was so on point, and he is uh, very sort of serious at times. And uh, but he performed Goonies with the orchestra. Of he was pl- Goonies, he was yeah. playing the piano as he's conducting the orchestra, you know. And it was really one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And uh, and of course his music for the firm, you know, which oh, he scored yes. he scored that movie just only on piano. There's nothing else. It's just him and a piano. And you listen to that score with that movie. It's one of the most effective scores for a film that I've ever I've ever seen. It's one of my favorites. We were playing something. We were playing It Takes yeah. a Thief or The Name of the Game. Some oh, of his yes. t- Some of his TV stuff. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Again, these guys. Wild Wild West is another one that he, Isn't that that he, that he did. And also comedy. He, uh, good Times. And Maud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave Grusin <laughs> themes. I mean, the, <laughs> again, versatile. And, and if you would meet him, you'd be like, really? You did... Good times. <laughs> well, I mean, at Tootsie so and The Graduate and Three Days of the Condor, well, I mean, there's, there's I a body of work there. Okay, yeah. here's something that annoys me in um, what what was yeah, uh, the uh, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. Oh, uh, a few good men. Oh, a few, few good, good men. men. Yeah, 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 yeah. The music there that keeps playing throughout the movie is da 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 da. And whenever that happens, I'm singing, if ever I should leave you. <laughs> oh, it's too similar? Yes. Is that what it throws you? <laughs> well, interesting. Well, we'll have to ask Mark Shaman about that. Yes. 
<laughs> we we want to ask you about, and we don't know the proper name for this, and I'm glad you talked about how uh, characters, you talked about characters getting their own individual themes and yeah. how it goes back to Wagner and mm-hmm. it goes back to opera, which I didn't know. Uh, when I was a kid, I watched Batman, as I'm sure you did. Of course. And you remember the Joker had his own theme and the Riddler yes. had his own theme? Yes. And I was at Billy May or 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 Neil Hefty. Neil, Neil Hefty. Yeah. Neil Hefty. But, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and what is it called? Gilbert's obsessed with the uh, the, 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 the music in the Andy Griffith show. I don't think it's called interstitial no. music. Michael would know. Well, what are Wait, you talking about? Like okay. When you go to a, a, theme like a, sh- a recurring motif or a theme within a show. Like Don Notch, when he'd uh, get tough. It was da 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 da. It was almost da, Highway da, Patrol. Da, 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 we, we would probably just call it the Getting Tough theme. All right, we'll yes, play the Getting yes, Tough theme yes. here. You know, I mean, that's it's literally that inane. Uh, you know, it's there's no real special. We could be trying to be fancy, but I wouldn't even bother because that's we don't we just say oh just play his his uh, you know his theme there or his getting tough theme or like even on Lost though every character so many characters on Lost and there are new themes for all the characters but some themes had, some characters had like sad theme like Hurley you know the the character yeah. that Jorge Garcia uh, played uh, there, you had sad Hurley and you had just uh, kind of fun Hurley so. It would always be like, well, I'm going to play fun Hurley's theme here, or I'm going to play sad Hurley. So it's exactly what you're talking about, that same idea. So it's 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 not that ex- it's not that exciting an answer. They don't actually. It's interesting that there's no actual technical term for it. You could you could call it a motif, a light motif, a light motif. which is a light motif, which is a small theme, uh, and that's probably if you want to you know get serious about it, you could call it that, but. You know, when you, I'm not going to say. And just recently, we played the theme to Mayberry RFD. Right. And that uh, was, was a one spin-off of the, of the Andy Griffith show. music from the Andy Griffith show. Da, 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 yeah, they brought it back. Yeah. Yes. For a, for a spin-off. Or, or it was just easy to use. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the table, so let's use that. By the, by, by the way, Lalo Schifrin, since you brought him up, and you told me a fun story on the phone that when you oh. were when you were hired by JJ to do Mission Impossible, you yeah. felt compelled to reach out to him. I did because I love that show. I love Mission Impossible, and of course, I love the music that Lalo wrote for it. And. Uh, and I was terrified, actually. I thought, oh, my God, what if I do something that this, this man who I Still with us. revere. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. We're, we're friends now. And it's, it's, I, loved, I love that I can say that. But he's at that time, I didn't know him. And I said, what if I do something that this man who I, I consider a hero hates or doesn't like? I, that would break my heart. I said, so I, I got to find him. So I called him up. I introduced myself. And I said, can I take you to lunch and, and talk to you about this? I'm about to do it. And he was like, sure, absolutely. So I met him at this Italian restaurant. And uh, we're sitting there. He's eating his salad. And, and we're having small talk. And I said, listen, look, the real reason is, and honestly, I felt like I was, I was asking if I could marry his daughter or something. That's how, ner- <laughs> that's how, that's how nervous it's I sacred. was. And, yes, exactly. And I said, I don't want to mess this up. And I would just love your advice. What should I do with the theme? What shouldn't I do with the theme? You know, uh, how can I avoid, you know, disappointing you? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he was like, what are you talking about? He goes, just have fun with it. And, and, and I was like, that's it? He goes, yeah, just have fun. Do whatever you want. It'll, it'll be fun. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, it's just like, you know, it's jazz. You just go for it. 
And I, I always will uh, remember, that's one of my favorite memories, that moment, because it really does, it sort of just opened me up to just say, you know what, you're right. This is, nothing is sacred, and don't be afraid to just experiment and have fun with it. Uh, but yeah, Lalo, Lalo's the best. Okay, quickly, since you're on the subject, three, three favorite TV themes, Mission Impossible, yeah. Uh, oh, for oh, six yeah, for million you. dollar man. I love six, six million, million dollar, dollar man. man. <laughs> I love oh, that theme. I'm sorry. You know? I'm, I'm I'm blanking on da, the composer. Da, 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 da. I know. Uh, let, uh, we got We can we can figure that. We'll have out. somebody but, look. Um, we'll have somebody look it up here. <clears throat> but uh, six million dollar man. Look. I know you like Hoyt Curtin and Johnny I lo- Quest. Well, Johnny Quest is absolutely one of the greatest TV Isn't themes that thing ever written. Fantastic. You know the Flintstones. He, Hoyt Curtin also. You know Flintstones as yeah. well. And and uh, Hoyt Curtin was amazing. That was a guy who was a jazzer. You know he and you hear it in all the all the music and and uh, but the Johnny Quest stuff was a massive influence also for what I did in The Incredibles. It's I feel like that's a huge love letter to to, to him in a lot of ways. Um, but there's ton- I mean, look, there's you like a million- the Green Hornet theme. I love the Green, Billy especially May. the Al, Her- Al Hurt Al version. Hurt, Billy May, yes, Lionel oh Newman. I think. Okay, it's so good. When I was a kid, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I remember this. That's part of the drinking game on this show. <laughs> yes, People, our fans say, "Take a shot." When Gilbert says, "When I was a kid," <laughs> so they're taking a shot. We're not live, but they will. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid. And yep. this is true. I remember being outside playing and my mother called me into the house. And why? Because Perry Mason was coming on. And as a kid, I really loved the Perry Mason theme. So she would call you into the house for this? Yes. Okay. Wasn't that da, that? Fred Steiner. Yes. Fred Steiner, I yes. think you're right. So, yes. Well, what about Mannix? Was it Mannix an awesome one? Mannix too? was Lalo Schifrin. Yeah, and that's a great Am I mistaken? Theme. I, I think I it think is him. So. I think it is I him. I so. love that one. That's a great theme. I, I was I was in a movie uh that the score was uh Lalo Schifrin. What was it? Oh well nobody ever saw it. <laughs> oh. But it was called Bad Medicine. Lalo Schifrin did the score for Bad Medicine. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was Wait, what were you in that movie? <laughs> Some Span Spanish. You played student. a Spaniard with Steve Gutenberg. Uh, you, you played a you played a Spaniard? Yes. Yeah, typecasting. Tony Sandoval <laughs> and Alan do, do, Arkin was in it. Do you remember any of your lines? Can you give us a hint a bit of your Spanish accent <laughs> of how that went? Well, all of us it was kind of like how in the Charlie Chan movies. You'd have white actors playing the main yes. Asians, yeah. and real Asians wouldn't have any lines. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and that's the way bad medicine was. I so don't think they, any Spanish people were, were in the lead. Probably not in Lalo Schifrin's resume. Uh, on, on his resume, bad medicine. I'm going to have to watch this. Were you doing an accent? Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, all, all of us are varying degrees of bad Spanish accents. <laughs> and I remember one line in particular, I tell Steve Gutenberg, the line is supposed to be, old shoes must be black. And, <laughs> okay. and I say it in a Spanish accent, and it comes across very clearly in my Spanish accent as 
old Jews must be black. <laughs> all Jews yes. must be black. All Jews right. must Just be a black. Sammy Davis reference? Yeah. So, <laughs> or Yafit Kodo. Or Yafit Kodo. Do you know Yafit Kodo is Jewish, Mike? No. You will learn really? on this. You'll learn on this show. I'm learning something. He's <laughs> one of the two Jewish Bond villains. Him and, and Joseph, Joseph Wiseman, Wiseman, who played yeah. Dr. We, no. We are going deep. Deeper than you want to go. Me, we, Frank promised we were going to go deep, and this is... I I pro- I pro- I've never let you down before. Oh, another case of a cartoon that rose above music-wise is um, is Charlie, uh, Charlie Brown. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. yes, yes, uh, um, with Vince um, Guaraldi. Vince Guaraldi, yes. I mean, that stuff is like as classic as Mozart, you know what I mean? In my yes. mind, like it, it feels like it, it definitely reached that level. Um, and creates emotion. Yeah, If it you does. watch the Charlie Brown's Christmas. If you hear those pieces essential. On, on the radio during the holidays, it's just like it melts you immediately. Yeah. You know, you're instantly brought back. And that's what I love about music. You could hear something and it instantly brings you back to a moment in time. It's like when I smell, you know, hair mousse, I instantly think of senior prom. <laughs> 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 and that is true. That is a great Every thing time. about music. There's a song it called is. Precious and Few. It was a pop song by a band called Climax uh-huh. before you were born. And every time I hear the song, it takes me back to reading a Fantastic Four comic. And I even remember the issue. This is too oh, much really? information. No, but that's, it's not. That stuff is stored. That stuff is hardwired. I love it. You, and I, I, can, it. I can trace it. I can look up the song when it charted. I can find the corresponding Fantastic Four issue. And oh, oh yep, that's 1972, so cool. it all lines up. I have a similar thing with an Avengers comic. Uh, whenever I see a 7-Eleven, I always think of this one particular Avengers comic that I bought. And I don't know why, but I remember because maybe I rode my bike there and bought it with my own money or whatever. But it was, a you know, with the human torch and all of those guys. Everyone was like one of those crazy issues. And uh, But I always think about that. Just like it's weird what triggers your memory. So how exciting is it for you, obviously, to, to now be composing for Marvel films? It's really Be, fun being a superhero really kid, fun. and particularly it's a Marvel really kid. Fun. You know, and I, I in particular, I you know, I, I really like the movies that are about like a character. You know, um, it's it's hard, always hard when you're doing something that's about a ton of characters. Um, so I always gravitate towards like, I, I remember, you know, uh, Spider-Man. When I saw uh, Civil War, Captain America: Civil War, there's a moment in there where Robert Downey Jr. goes to visit Peter Parker. And it's a small scene in the film, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of uh, Peter Parker's introduction into the Marvel Universe. And I remember watching that scene, and it's probably, I don't know, eight minutes long, if that. And uh, it was the most incredible scene. There were no superhero costumes at all in it. It was just literally, you know, uh, Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. in a bedroom talking to each other. And I thought, that's Spider-Man. I want to score that. I want, I want to work on that. And I remember as soon as the movie was over, I sent an email to Kevin Feige, who heads up Marvel and who's just really a, a fantastic guy. He's, ex- he's just like us. He loves this stuff so much. He's doing a great and job I, with it. Yeah. And I said, who, who, who's doing Spider-Man? I want to do Spider-Man. I want to do that so badly. Please let me do Spider-Man. You know? And it was the same thing on Doctor Strange, really. I loved well. what you did with Doctor Strange. Oh, thanks. That was such a. I always loved that comic. I love that character, you know. And uh, and I like the guys that are sort of a little bit sort of left field, you know. And and the movies that are about sort of 
their development as because I feel like then you can really musically, you know, write something. Mm-hmm. And someone who's done interesting things, and he'll usually in the movies when he, where he does this, he'll pick old pop songs, and that's uh, Martin Scorsese. Yes, yes, he'll yes. Have he does a, a lot. And it'll yeah, be a, a song that, that doesn't match what's going on with the scene. No, it could be a beautiful sort of like, you know, 60s you know, Motown ballad against someone getting beaten with a baseball bat. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> he yes. does it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's using Donovan's Atlantis in Goodfellas. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the idea of that contrast, right? So, so what can you do to get the actual emotion – uh, that you know, because it's 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 not it's not truly about a scene like that. It isn't about someone's head being bashed in, although sometimes it can be. But he he's so smart in that he it's violent and it's ugly in front of you. But he's also with those songs reminding you sort of what it's really about, you know, uh, and what's really going on here. And and that's that's sort of what we were talking about earlier. Is just speaking to the truth of the scene. And he's he's a master at that. He's the best. I've heard you say that sometimes you get a little caught up in in doing an homage that you lose sight of the characters. You lose sight of the of what your main job is. Yes, which is yes. servicing the story and servicing the emotion. Yes. Yeah. You can. You know. And nowadays there are so many films being made that are sort of. Um, I want reboots or sequels to what we've known or what we grew up with. There's a lot of that in our in our pop culture right now. So it can be easy to say, well, every time this thing is on screen, I must play the thing that played on screen with it, you know, 25 years ago. And I think, you know, that's harmful because that's 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 not doing what's right for the story. That's doing what's right for pop culture, you know. Uh, and you're 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 not paying attention to the actual and so the thing I try to do and the hardest thing is to do is to really focus on the story. What is happening in the story? And if it and if it if it works out to use something like that, great. Um, but don't do it just because it was. You know, uh, you better have you have to earn those moments because they were earned when they were originally written back when whatever movie franchise you want to talk about. You know, they didn't just use them whenever they wanted. They used it when they needed it. And and nowadays the tendency is just use it everywhere. And 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 I really I really uh, dislike that. And I want to kind of you know just at least for me make sure I pay attention to what's happening story wise. Well, so if I you, do that, it earns it. Let me ask you an example because you you, you obviously uh, you admire very much Jerry Goldsmith's Planet of the Apes soundtrack. Oh yeah, and definitely. now you get a Planet of the Apes assignment. Yeah, from Matt Reeves. Yeah. And yep. and and do you have to do you have to sit and smack yourself on the hand and say don't be doing don't just don't just go down the homage to Jerry Goldsmith? Oh, I absolutely have hole, to do that because what hole. you need to understand about me and Planet of the Apes is that I was obsessed as a kid <laughs> with Planet <laughs> of the Apes. I knew that about to, you to the point to the point that when I was probably ten years old, eleven years old, or when nine years old. I would follow, follow. I would go to the store with my dad. There was a Pathmark grocery store down the street from us, and I would go there with him. Now they had a tiled, a sort of linoleum tiled floor, and they were about twelve inches across. And if you put your foot on one and then skip the tile and then put your foot on the other, your legs were wide enough apart where you looked like an ape walking, you know, <laughs> in the way that they did in the movies. <laughs> So I would follow my dad as he was shopping and Fantastic. getting things around the store, walking like an ape. You know, so that's how obsessed I was. And I still have all my Planet of the Ape action figures and the treehouse and all of those things. So uh, flash forward all these years, 
um, working on that, yes, I, I definitely wanted to sort of have an echo of what Jerry did for that very first one especially, but I didn't want it to become about that homage, you know, because, again, that's where you make the mistake and that's when you start, you know, losing sight of what – music is a really powerful weapon in storytelling. And when I got my first job with Brad Bird working on The Incredibles, he called me up to say, all right. You're hired. You got the job. He goes, but it's going to be the hardest job you've ever had. And I said, okay, I'm up for it. I'm ready. Um, and he said, now listen, what I mean is your music could ruin my movie. And I'm like, <laughs> it's a nice I'm like, how do you do? Yeah, I'm like, well, this is a great way to start a, a relationship. And I said, um, well, I, 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 and he cut me off. He says, no, what I mean, man, is that if you're thinking one thing and I'm thinking another and we go in separate directions, we're going to ruin this. He goes, so you and I have to be hand in hand the whole way with the storytelling. So whatever you're doing has to support what I'm trying to do with the story. And it was a very, you know, you know, at the time I thought it was a little aggressive to start out that way, but, but looking back, uh, he was absolutely right. And, and it forced me to always really be careful and think about what I'm doing musically because I could easily get the audience thinking something that they shouldn't be thinking and then derail the whole thing. And then the next thing you know, Gilbert's wondering, why are they playing funny music behind this scene? And it's because <laughs> You've taken Gilbert out of the movie. Up, you, know? <laughs> exactly. you brought up Johnny Quest to him, didn't you? It wasn't, that oh, a, did. wasn't that the, yeah, the well, point where you guys well, came together on it? When we first met up at Pixar, I, I went up there and I met with him and I'm at this great studio and – uh, I, you know, I wanted this film so badly, and uh, but Brad didn't know me from your anything. first feature. We should point out, yeah, it was my first feature that right. was going to be in a movie theater, and um, so I met with him, and he's like, okay, so well, what did you like as a kid? And I started going into a lot of animation because I loved animation, and I mentioned Johnny Quest, and he's like, full stop, right there. He was like. You Johnny Quest, that was my favorite. And we went into this crazy deep dive about Johnny Quest and Hoyt Curtin right. and all different episodes and every all the storylines we liked and all the, you know, and it was a real bonding moment because I feel like he knew that, okay, he's on the same boat that I'm on. You know, he he loves the yeah. things that I love. And we got have been, you know, we get along great ever since. It's just so much fun working with him. Now, are you a tremendous fan of when they're making a sequel? And they take the original composition and do a rap version of it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, like the Adams Family rap? Oh, there's been oh. so many. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of uh, like that song. Well, uh, yeah, no, it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. It's not my favorite. But you know what? They got to do what the kids are into these days. You know, what are the kids like? That's what we should do. It's what the kids like, you know? And it's always such a weird marketing thing you know that when you, actually that comes into an interesting conversation about end credit songs you know it used to be that you would get a great end credit credit suite of the music that you yeah. had in the film and 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 it's very rare now that you get that you know now it goes right to a song cuz they want to have something to sell you know they want to have something to sell and if you can get someone to write a song and slap it on the end of a, a film It'll 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 sell. You know, we actually had that on Mission Impossible. I remember we were planning on doing this end credit suite, and and word came down. No, no, no. Kanye is going to write a song for it, and I was like, um, what for the <laughs> Mission Impossible three? I was like, really? Is you know, sometimes you get someone who's like a big fan of a franchise or something, sure. and they go, I want to write a song. But this this was like 
I remember the, the music supervisor telling me, no, man, it's art meets commerce. It's going to be great. And I'm like, art and commerce are never great when they meet. It's always terrible when they meet. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Prince worst. ends up in a Batman movie. Exactly. Right. Yes. Nothing against Prince. Nothing against Prince because right. he's amazing, right. but that's exactly right. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. then when Prince came out with that album, Music Influence. Inspi yes. Inspired I by. Yes. <laughs> and I still go, what the fuck does that mean? It doesn't yeah. mean anything. It, you really think Prince was sitting there looking at like, Mar uh, you know, like Frank Miller comics and and going, oh, this is inspiring me to write this. No, song. it was it was, <laughs> it was no. John Peters saying, how can we sell ten zillion albums? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Get, and get, you know what? They make money, and because they make money, they keep doing it. And it is, you know. What do you think so. of the creative choice to use the pop soundtrack for the Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, series that, that worked great because yes. that was tied to the story. Yes, you know it was that organic. was organic. It came out of the story. It came out of the fact that his mother made him right. this mixtape. Mixtape. So I thought that's brilliant. That works yeah. great, and I'm always happy to see that because I'm not against pop songs in movies or anything like that. It's just about use it in the right way. It also you know? sets that, it apart from way. the rest of the Marvel universe. It really oh, yeah. it, it makes the Guardians movies their own thing. Yep, and it never feels forced. It always just works. What annoys me in movies, and it gets back to the Mission Impossible theme, when they go, oh, we'll play this, and that'll be the laugh. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's true. One of the Naked Gun movies, you do it, use it or something? I don't know. It sounds... I know yeah, what you're talking about. They'll play the Rocky theme oh, or Mission and, you just and, mentioned but, one but of Bill, my favorite. Bill Conti gets a check, so I'm just saying you made one of you just mentioned one of my favorite movies, the the Naked Gun. Yeah, we had David is, Zucker in here. Oh my god, yeah, I yeah, that yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. We we yeah. love him too. And, um, but yeah, it is annoying. They can just license anything, you know. Um, and sometimes you get approval over that, and sometimes you don't. I remember, you know, uh, you know the the video game Medal of Honor that I did years ago. There were times when um, people wanted to use, license it to use for their political campaigns. And I would be like, no. Thankfully, I get to say yes or no to that, and uh, and I'm like, no, it's not meant for that. It shouldn't be used for that, or 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 you know, or like there was an ad campaign for how to not waste food, and it was a you know national ad that the government was doing, and they wanted to use the music from Up, and of course we were like, sure, use that because that's that's a that's a good thing. So sometimes you have right. control over it, sometimes you don't. Good cause. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we play a little bit of the uh, of the Incredibles, Mike? Yeah, a little what, bit of the of the uh, what, what do you call it? The main theme, the closing theme. We'll the, call it whatever you want to call the it. The Incredibles theme. Yes, yeah, sure. And, and maybe you can. T and we we won't play much of it. We we have about two, two two three minutes of it queued up. But I thought maybe you could talk us through some of it. Yeah, I should actually send you right now. I can send you a, a, a link to the uh, Elastigirls, the brand new theme. Oh, something really cool. That's really fun. If you want to see something like that, all right. I'm. Ju I just shared the file with you. Tell me if you uh, got it. There it goes. Talk us through some of the what was going through your head. Some of the influences. Some of the. What was interesting on the second one? Well, the first one was all about sort of um, capturing this idea of a, a spy movie, you know, vibe mm -hmm. that that John Barry sort of invented. In yep. his day, who did it brilliantly. Um, uh, but you also had people like Henry Mancini and Hoyt Curtin, like we talked about. And 
So there's a lot of influences, I think, that go into that original incredible score. And it's very much, as I said earlier, and Lalo, a love, a, and Lalo it's a love letter to all those guys whose uh-huh. music I loved growing up. And I thought when it came time to do the second one, 14 years later, I was sort of, I was, I was telling Brad, let's not make this movie. Come on, Brad, let's not do it. Let's go do something new. Forget it. We did that one. <laughs> it worked. We got lucky. You know, people like it. And what if we screw this one up? What if we do something and, you know, uh, and we got into a huge, like, back and forth argument about this one night at dinner. Um, I lost, of course, and here, you know, and, and it's out. And, I, and honestly, I'm super happy to have done it because I think all the fears I had of not being able to, to match expectations of what we did before sort of went away when I realized, look, four, I learned a lot in 14 years. Now, honestly, I still have a lot to learn, and I hope I continue to learn as I go, but I also learned a lot, and, and jumping into this movie was a much easier process for me than it was to start the last one. You know, uh, The last one was all out of fear. You know? Where sure, this it was your one, first gig. Yeah, your first this feature one gig, for right. me, I had, you know, I was nervous about what would people like it or not, but I had way more fun writing than I did on the last one, you know? And I was able to just sort of naturally go into all of my influences that I loved without referencing, without listening or going back. I'm just like, I want the feeling of this. Or it was more about that feeling I had when I watched Johnny Quest or when I watched the Pink Panther or when I watched, you know, James mm-hmm. Bond. It was all about that. So the new one was great. And I also got to write, you know, I always had wanted to write a theme for Elastigirl, but there really was no room for it in the last movie. And so on this film, she's a real big part of the of the story. She is the center Holly of the Hunter's story. Holly Hunter's character. Yeah, yeah, Holly Hunter. And uh, so I was like, great. So one of the first things I sat down to do is write, I'm writing a theme for Elastigirl. And uh, yeah, so that's that thing I just sent over. Here we go. Wow, it's it's fun, right? I mean, it's, it was it was just such a blast to do, and uh, and anytime you can work with someone playing congas and bongos, that's the best. That like so. brings back brings me e- back to every <laughs> secret agent movie I ever saw. Yeah, but that but, but that's the trick, isn't it? A little yeah. homage to I, I heard a little. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. An influ- a little bit of Henry Mancini's Peter Gunn. Oh, yeah, with the doom, 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 doom. Yeah, it, it's definitely all sort of like a part of me. So when it comes out, like you're just listening to years of influences that I had growing up. It's the synthesis, right? It's But it has to be it has to be original, too. Yes. It, ha- it yes. has to work on its own merits. Yes, exactly. While paying exactly. homage to all of these people. Yeah, it can't rely on that stuff. It needs to kind of be able to stand on its own two feet. And, and, uh, and you know, the players that I get to work with are – off the charts, 
crazy talented. You know, like that cue that you just heard, we probably only recorded that three times, you know, and they had never seen it before. So there's no rehearsal. You just throw music in front of them oh, and they play it. Yeah, these are the, know? the masters. They're amazing. And, and, the, and the bass player on that is a gentleman named Abe Laboreal who is – who played with Henry Mancini. In fact, Hen- uh, Abe was brought over uh, to play in film scores and, and play on you know, pop records and stuff by, by Henry Mancini. He, he was born in uh, Mexico City, and Henry Mancini found him somehow and brought him in. And at his first session that Abe was having, his first Hollywood session, you know, and he was nervous as anything. And so Abe is there with his bass. This is years ago, and he's looking at the sheet music. Henry Mancini's on the stand. And he counts off and they start playing and they're recording and Abe is diligently playing what's on the page, paying what's on the page. And then Henry stops everything in the middle of the queue. It's like, hold on, hold on a second. He goes, Abe, what the hell are you doing back there? And Abe was like, oh, God, what did I, what did I do? Uh, and he goes, well, I'm just I'm, – I'm playing what you wrote. And he goes, I didn't bring you here to play what I fucking wrote. Just do your thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because Abe is one of the most creative bass players you'll ever hear. And, man, I, he was on the first Incredibles. He's on this one. He's been on everything I've ever done. And even when I don't ha- – it's not necessarily a bass-type score. I still love having him on there because he always adds something uh, creative and, and beautiful to, to, the, to the music. How and cool. This, the, this crosses generations. Yeah. And, and we've talked about studio musicians. Yes. And how – They're like these unsung heroes because a lot of how we remember our favorite songs. Like the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. Exactly. stuff they created. Stuff that they made up. Yes, exactly. We got to get Hal Blaine on this show. Well, we could do, I, you know, know so many of these guys, and uh, that would be actually a fun show to bring in a bunch of the guys that, that, that are, it's, and it's mostly the rhythm guys that really, you know, a violin player can't really go off chart, you know, like they got, because <laughs> they there's, there's 24 of them, and if one of them is deciding, I'm going to improvise on this, it's not going to work, you know. Uh, most of the instruments in the orchestra sort of have to stick to what's written for them. But the rhythm guys are the ones that that you really want to give some room to. You don't want to – and unless there's something specific, I will write moments of specificity for – how do you say that? Specificity. That's it. Say it like that. I'll write moments, very specific things uh, for moments. But in between, you want to just let them do their thing, and they'll they'll always add just uh, this incredible layer of magic to what you have. When you're sitting there, you're saying, "Okay, I got to make this sound. It's got to it's got to work on its in, in, in its own right, but it's going to be a little bit reminiscent of this, a little bit." And you say, "I need a bongo because mm-hmm. there's a bongo in the Mission Impossibles." Well, there was a bongo possible like, theme. There was a bongo on all of those old RCA lounge records that I had yeah. growing up. You know, all of that stuff, which which I love. Which I love dearly. Those guys. Oh man! And so you have people like Alex Acuna, who was the original drummer from Weather Report. He's in my orchestra. He wow. plays on all of my things, uh, and they are just the most. Uh, I mean, just incredible people you'll ever meet. And so, and they just have fun. They have so much fun, and that's important to me that we all have fun at the sessions. A lot of sessions are very sort of tense and serious, and ours are completely. Yeah, I've seen you that. conducting in costumes and masks <laughs> and things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, <laughs> didn't, didn't Jerry Goldsmith conduct or, or in a, in an ape mask? That's the that's he the r- rumor. When there, he was no, he did Planet actually. I, there's a great photo <laughs> you know of that? it hanging. No. Yeah, put the ape mask no. on to conduct <laughs> Planet of the Apes score. 
It did. There's a great a picture outside the Fox scoring stage uh, where he is um, wearing the mask, and a few of the players are also wearing eight masks, and he's conducting. Fantastic. Funny. Yep. And is there ever going to be a law passed in movies and TV where you can no longer use the hallelujah chorus? <laughs> I, I I would sign that bill. I'll yeah. sign that bill. Yes, let's yeah. send it. Let's send it on to the, yeah. the or a the, record the, or a needle being pulled off a record. Oh, a record in a trailer. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Walking on sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we don't want to prevent these people from being paid. Oh, yeah, <laughs> from the royalties. There's that royalties. There's that. I just <laughs> thought. Speaking of the Incredibles, I just thought of an example of a moment where somebody has their own theme. Where we're calling it a motif. Yeah, yeah. What when when the French villain first shows up? <laughs> uh, 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 what is his character's name? Uh, bon Voyage. Bon Voyage. Bon, bon Voyage. You yes. go to a little bit of accordion. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm so Which ashamed. Is a great little wrinkle. <laughs> it's a great now, example. And Randy Newman comes from oh, yeah. a family. Yes, he does. Oh yeah. Now sure. is it? I think, I heard he does come from a family. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, <laughs> a mother, a father, yeah, it was pretty He's amazing. got it all. You, a family of legendary composers. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it was Alfred Newman who wrote... And then Star Wars starts. That's how I remember. Weren't you asked to compose something similar? I did a hundredth anniversary thing for for Paramount. Yep, we we did a new logo for them. How cool! And then we also did that Newman 20th Century Fox fanfare. I redid it for the last Planet of the Apes, and it's all like it's just very Planet of the Apey. It's 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 just very. <laughs> it's it's so strange. Do you have that? Do you have that one? I don't have. I was gonna I'd send you that too because that's pretty funny. Send it to us, but, and we'll play we'll we'll play it at the end. I want to give a shout out to your sister Maria, who's sitting there. We're we're looking at Mike on Skype. He's in L.A. Uh, and and because Maria was instrumental. Hello, Maria. Who, even though she doesn't remember meeting me back in the '80s, I'm not insulted. Yeah. Hello. Hi, Maria. And we want to smartly cut her mic. We want to yeah. give you a shout out for for being instrumental in setting up and arranging Michael's 50th uh, birthday celebration. Yeah, that was at Royal Albert Hall. An event. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she produced that whole concert. Now you can imagine what that's like when you have ha- how many directors? Did yeah, there was there? eight directors. Eight directors there that were. I going got to, to be... direct the directors. Yeah. How nice! Ooh, what an ego trip. <laughs> <laughs> and you you said you were just it was, so it was JJ. It was Pete Doctor, Matt yep. Matt Reeves, Matt Reeves, Colin Gareth Edwards, Colin Trevorrow. Right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, but well, the, actually, one of the greatest things that we had there was the great Gonzo. You know, uh, the Gonzo from the Muppet Show. I know you're there. a Muppet guy. <laughs> oh yeah. my from way god! Back. I love the Muppets so much. And uh, so, and I had to get a poodle. Oh yes, a live poodle. Because we came up with this skit right. that that we were doing when Gonzo comes in and interrupts what I'm conducting and just to say happy birthday. But of course, he's interrupting everything and. Uh, and it is um, oh we have it here here send it back send it to that email address um, and uh, so she had to go and find a poodle a live poodle it was a very cute in London 
Yes. Yeah. In London. On short notice. And uh, it all worked. It was it was hilarious. But then but then Gonzo sang one of my favorite songs in the world. You know, the whole concert was all my music except for this one bit, which was um, where Gonzo sang "I'm Going to Go Back There Someday," written by Paul Williams, who of course has been here. The, oh, come on, yeah. Paul. He's Paul, been Paul's here. The greatest, we're right? Gonna, I we're going to yes. send you a clip of Gilbert singing the Rainbow Connection with Paul. <laughs> oh, <that> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, at my so you, 60th birthday party, you can come and sing that. There you go, Bill. <laughs> You've been warned, Mike. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I, are there tissues here? I'm crying. I need. I need. But I cut. I'm sorry. I cut off your Paul Williams story. Oh no no no! Your favorite I, song. It was just, and he played it there, and we had the orchestra play along with it, and there, it was just uh, such a, an emotional moment, and uh, just to have him do that live on stage, where I'm on stage. At the Albert Hall with with Gonzo. Well, you sang singing, with him, and I sang with him. So it was like it was such a probably one of my favorite moments in life. What it a thrill and what an honor! Yeah, to have all yeah. of these people show up and have the the and the uh, and have this orchestra. Yeah, yeah, legendary we had such orchestra a fun, playing your we had a fun. compositions. It was fun. It was fun. It was an insane. We had evening. ten stormtroopers too. And ten stormtroopers. <laughs> they did. They introduced Rogue One. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> None of them could pee exactly. <laughs> and one movie I've spoken about before, as far as great theme music for a mess of a film. And that was the original Casino Royale. Oh, the Burt Bacharach. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. The music yeah, yeah. is amazing. Yeah. That opening it's... theme music, you can't get better. I mean, the movie's horrible. Yeah, it's not so great, but but the music's awesome. And, I mean, that happens a lot, right? I mean, not every movie can be great, and it's hard, but, you know, a lot of times... A lot of the movies out of the 60s, there's a lot of probably bad movies, but that you love the music too, you know? Absolutely. I, and I, what I love about that time period, there was such crazy, uh, uh, you know, experimentation going on. You could do jazz orchestra and no one even thought, no one blinked an eye. By the time that I was doing The Incredibles, no one was doing it. And there was even question as questions as if, is this going to be popular? Are people going to understand this kind of music anymore? You know, I remember one time working on a television show where I wanted to do a jazz score for it. It was an, I won't name the network and I won't name the show. (laughs) Uh, But uh, for the pilot, uh, it didn't last very long. It only lasted seven or eight episodes, I think. But for the pilot, I wrote this jazz score with, uh, I had a um, a jazz bucket player, like those guys down in the the subway that you see that are playing the buckets. Um, That was sort of the drum set for it and everything was really jazzy. And one of the studio execs said, you can't do jazz in TV. People don't understand jazz. You can't use jazz in a television show. And I'm like, w- literally, this was the comment. And the score got thrown out. Uh, and I ended up not scoring the, the show, thankfully, because it just would have been a nightmare. But I remember thinking, are you kidding? So every time you try to do something different in this town, there's someone there to slap you down and tell you why you shouldn't. No, we can't be different. It must all be the same or else we won't make any money. People only will eat the same thing over and over again. Well, the thing about The Incredibles is you almost think you're watching a period film because it's yeah. so because the music is so uh, reminiscent of, of that stuff, of yes. the 60s stuff. There's a little and bossa nova in there. I watched, yes. it, I watched it last night, and the scene, oh, yeah. where, the scene where Bob is, is kind of getting his mojo back, 
Yes, yeah. And you're playing, yeah. you're playing. I mean, I'm almost feeling like I'm listening to Sergio Mendez in the Brazil 66. <laughs> and I know this because yes. I, I know you so long. I know you're, this comes from listening to your father's records in the basement. Yes, I love that stuff so much. And you're just pouring everything in there. Yeah. And I'm, and, I'm and, my watching it with my wife, and she says it's like we're watching a retro superhero movie. Yes. Set in exactly. 1962 or 63. And, and the design element of and the, the design, film as well. Obviously. Everything there, it all works together when you're looking at it and you're just like, wow, it's, it is a, a, a big throwback. And I, I love it for that. But there's not many, you don't get that many chances to do things like that in this town. Tell, tell Gilbert too, and he'll, he'll get off on this. You scored, and was this for, um, for I think for JJ, for Cloverfield, you, you did a tribute to Japanese monster movies? Uh, <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I did. I love all Godzilla movies and and wrote, you know <laughs> we do Godzilla too versus yeah. destroy all monsters and, and exactly I love those things and, and so Godzilla much Godzilla died recently <laughs> he did I, yeah. I forget oh, he, I could, well he'd been sick yeah he he was <laughs> the guy who was Godzilla <laughs> oh you're right God- yes yeah the guy yes. in the costume yes. yeah yes. Yes. he, yes. he yes. died two years ago <laughs> yeah yes but I as a kid growing up I mean. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so they had this thing, Creature Double Feature, on Saturdays. And we would watch, me and my brother Anthony, that's where we were. At 1 p.m., whenever it started, that's where we were watching it. And so much of it were were films like that. But that's where I also found my love of Ray Harryhausen, you know, and Willis O'Brien yep. and all I those know you guys. Like that because, stuff. man, did I love stop motion and I loved anything that had to do with a, a guy in a suit and smashing a city. I was in for that. I was like, I am, I am, I am all in. And in fact, I was telling you, Frank, about the the short film that I just. Oh, you just with almost, Pat with Pat with Patton, yeah. right? And the and the film is literally Patton about Oswald. a guy that does that. Oh, that's hilarious! And it is. It's it's. You it's, guys are completely uh, cut out of the same cloth, so you must yes, have been no, simpatico. No. Oh no no he. We're good friends, but he was not happy with me because the suit was like, like I explained the stormtrooper suit. This suit was even worse because it was like 300 degrees in the suit he had to wear. So but, you cast you know. Patton as a as a guy who puts on a monster suit and steps on cities. Yes, fantastic. Yes. <laughs> and and I heard Willis O'Brien. He also did the original Lost World, the silent movie. Yes, yes, that's yeah. right. And and then they called him back to do the Claude Rains Lost World, you know, in color and right. sound and everything. And he was excited about what he yeah. would do. And they wound up using the name Willis O'Brien, but having that shitty footage of actual lizards. Yes, and they would put, glue the the the, the horns uh, sca- on the, them, the horns and different things. Yes, I know. I remember watching those as a kid and not liking them. Yeah, and sometimes they would poke the lizard yeah, to make it could, move, and you could tell, or they throw them at each other so they yes. would fight. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! <laughs> Incredible. I always thought that was the worst cheat yeah, in the world was, when they had was, lizards. Did you ever did, did one of my favorite movies is a movie called Valley of the Guanji. 
Oh, oh yes, yeah, sure. I, oh, and the dinosaur's like a blue color. Yes, it yeah. is. It, it, but the cowboys, when they're going out, they're trying to rope him. It's such a great scene, and oh. the, the the score for that film is is amazing as well. That's a it's lot of fun. That movie. Oh, since, I love it. Since we mentioned Royal Albert Hall, I want you to tell your story of of uh, of who you who came into the studio while you were recording in London, <laughs> not long well, ago. I think you not, were. Well, I was re- I was lucky enough to uh, work on something with Paul McCartney uh, a few years back, and I was helping uh, to arrange a song that he had written, and uh, we recorded it here in L.A. and we kind of became friends through that. And so when I was recording uh, Doctor Strange at the Albert Hall, uh, I mean at um, Abbey Road, the uh, Abbey Road, I was at Abbey Road recording Doctor Strange, and I said, oh, maybe I'll just. Um, Call him and see if he wants to come over. I don't know if he's in town or not. And and I I did. And he was like, yeah, I'll come over. I'll be around tomorrow. Are you going to be there? I said, sure. So he came over. And just sitting in the room with Paul while we're recording Doctor Strange. Now, one of the things we were recording that day was this really sort of uh, Beatles-esque version of the Do- uh, Doctor Strange theme. And he's sitting there listening to it. And he goes, he goes, sounds very walrus <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it does. I said, look, you guys invented everything. We have no choice but to copy what you did. <laughs> so, uh, and he's just, what I love about him is he'll come in, he'll say hi to the musicians. He's just, uh, he'll tell you tons of stories about his time working there. It's, it's so beautiful because he just loves music so much. And he just loves the creation of music. He loves that he respects the musicians and he has wonderful stories about George Martin and uh, who did such brilliant work for the Beatles as well. Um, and he's just truly a guy who loves what he does. You and he's know? one of those guys like Scorsese knows every kind of film. He knows he knows music. He's an he absolute knows student. Mu- yes, you, absolutely. You, any, any reference you pull out. I mean, he, yeah. can, he probably can have a conversation about Neil Hefty and Franz Waxman. Oh, absolutely. He's obsessed with it in the way that we are obsessed with movies and everything that we talk about. Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm and it sure. all comes from a really honest place. So you don't agree with Quincy Jones that the Beatles didn't know music at all? That they were Well, they, they, they may not have known uh, music in the traditional sense that we would say, oh, a person must play a piano and look at notes and play the notes that are there. But they had an instinct for music that no one else had, you know. And and I think in part because they did, they weren't classically trained. They were able to break the rules in ways that guys who are tr- classically trained are afraid to do. So they would do chord progressions that you would never hear anyone else. And simply because, they, I, you know, it, I, they didn't know any better. And yet they were still creating something that no one had ever heard before. So they were breaking rules by the fact that they didn't really have the training that all the, everyone else did. And so I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of or anything to put down. I think, you know, the creation of music can happen in millions of different ways. It doesn't only have to happen in the way that somebody who's classically trained feels like it should happen. They did okay. Run, they did okay. I think <laughs> they, you know, they changed the world in my opinion. Yeah. So, tell, tell us about how you're working with, you know, the, the importance of music education. And how yes. much you do for that cause and how important it is. I'm on the board of a group called Education Through Music um, because they're, you know, in Los Angeles, as, as with many other places in the country, they are, you know, when a school is in financial trouble, the first thing they'll do is kill the arts. They will just lose the arts. Um, 
They will never lose the science or the math or, or you know, or the history mm-hmm. or the things that you – but they'll happily take off the fourth wheel, which is the arts, you know. And cars can't run without four wheels, you know. Uh, and, and they don't – there's an under, there's, a, there's this um, feeling that the arts are not as important as science, math, and history and everything else. I think they are all equally important, you know, and, 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 a, and a child needs the education of all of those things in order to be a, you know, a well-rounded individual. They don't have to go into music, but learning music can help you with math, you know. Uh, learning math can help you with music, and learning music gets your imagination going. It gets your brain working in ways. There are tons of studies that, that, that talk about uh, development developmentally how music can help a child as they're growing up. Um, so, I mean, I can go on forever about it, but I, the, the, this group that we're, that we're involved yeah, with. Just tell how our listeners can contribute or donate or, or, <clears throat> yeah, or, if you or go get to, involved. If you look up uh, education through music, and I believe the website is etmla.org, I would imagine. And, uh, and what we do is schools that have had their music programs removed uh, due to financial difficulties, we put a new music program in. We hire teachers to go and continue uh, the music programs for the kids. We help them get instruments. We help them learn. And we create uh, an environment where they can, you know, stay after school and learn music as opposed to going home and doing nothing. You know, they can actually uh, continue the, their arts education, which I think is, is so important. So Good. important. That's admirable yeah. work, Mike. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Before we let you get out of here, you've got you've got a life to get onto. You got you got two movies opening. Did you and get the uh, the Fox thing? We're gonna play it. Uh, oh, Frank it has is. it now, so let's let's pop that in. You can play it now, whatever. You want. Fantastic. <laughs> that had like a jungle beat to it. That was yeah. great. It was, it was, I was almost King Kong Presents. Exactly. Yes, yes. If, if King Kong were writing music, there it would be. And at the end, I was reminded of when you would go to the movies in the 80s, I guess it was, and, and, they, and, and the Dolby thing would come up. Yes. Do you remember yeah. that? Yep. It would just build to a crescendo and tell you that you were watching a movie in, in Dolby Sound. What a what a what a joy it must be to do that kind of stuff. Oh, it, it was so fun. It was so fun. You know, I'm sure they're rolling over in their grave, but you know what? It was neat to do. Uh, I, uh, there's so much we could we could go into. It's we've hit the 90 minute mark, and we're going to let you and Maria get out of here. But uh, come back sometime and tell us about working with Albert Brooks. Oh, oh, okay. We yes, that's a, that'll take another 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a hero. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to know about when you were interviewed by William Shatner. Okay. But <laughs> when we'll, I got we'll, my own planet from William Shatner. <laughs> he gave me my own planet. Yep. But there's there's so much we have to save something for another show. I had questions for you from listeners that I didn't get to. Uh, one guy says, Rob Martinez, though, does says, tell, please tell Michael the score for Ratatouille is perfection. Oh, well, thank you, Rob. And I appreciate I, I, it. I just, but I, I'm quickly going to tell, and I told this to Gilbert too and today, and he got a kick out of it. I'm quickly going to tell the Speed Racer story. Yeah. Because you, you and I met at <laughs> night, even though your sister doesn't remember me. Well, you and I met, I think, 1988, 87, yes. something. I may have yep. the year wrong. 
and we were hanging out in New Jersey. Uh, I knew you were obsessed with Planet of the Apes then, by the way. I think you told yeah. me. But <laughs> you, out of the blue one day, you said to me, oh, God, man, I'd love nothing more than to write a Speed Racer movie. <laughs> and I said, I said, wow, that's interesting. There should be a Speed Racer movie, Mike. And who do you see in this? And you said... Well, I said Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. Right. I thought that would be perfect. And, and you know, were, live you were, action. You were working in Disney publicity at the time, probably. Yes. You, you were doing that internship. Yep. And uh, Michael and I met back in film school days. Uh, and years later, how many years later? Well, was when, it, what year did I come out? 2006? 2008? Right. 2000, the my son brothers. is also here. He's telling me oh, he's reminding me. Oh, your son's there of, too. Yes, yes. They just, the um, Wachowski brothers decide, or Wachowski brothers, how do they pronounce it? The Wachowskis. Wachowskis yeah, yeah. decide mm-hmm. they're going to make a Speed Racer movie. Yep. And you and score it. They called me and I was like, are you kidding me? This is, the you know. All these years I had wanted to make it. I remember even contacting the people who own the rights to it, which was Broadway Video. Remember there's this place. Um, Lorne, is was, that Lorne Michaels Company, Broadway uh, Video? Was it? Maybe. At Maybe. The, I don't know. Else. Uh, but and I could not get the rights to it. You know, I was a, I was was nobody. At, you know, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And here I am writing letters to all these people. I want the rights to this. You know, maybe I could have made it on Super Eight. You know, film. I had nothing else. But, uh, but yeah, I was, that's actually one of the one of the um, most fun things I ever got to do was write the score for that movie. The Wachowskis are uh, some of the nicest and smartest. Um, people you will ever meet in your life. Did you uh, say when you got the call, you guys, I really... Oh, know, yeah. I spent, no, no, I've no. spent the last 15 years dreaming of a Speed Racer movie. Well, they had, they quickly learned what a nut I was about Speed Racer. You know, I look at some of those episodes to this day, and I could look at it and say, if you filmed that episode using this animated uh, episode as a storyboard, it would be brilliant. They were so well laid out, and the stories were so economically told, and they were great. I just I just loved it. I grew up with it and loved it so much. So Us too. Yeah. Yep. Us too. You know a guy you got to meet? Do you know um, Kirk Hammett from Metallica? No, I don't. He was on the show with us. Yeah. We, total, total monster kid. He is a monster really? kid. Yeah. I, he used to build Aurora <laughs> models and then set them on fire. Oh, yeah. I used and to I know do you that did too. the same. Absolutely. So, all, right, all, so, the time. So, all the time. All the time. Destroy when, stuff after you built it. When someone first <laughs> suggested him, I was thinking, I don't give a fuck about Metallica. <laughs> And then they said, he's a big monster fan. And I said, and then you're like, he's in. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, sp- we had him here as, almost as long as you. We had him here 90 minutes on remote from Hawaii. I don't think we talked about Metallica for about four minutes. That's the great. entire episode was about Universal Horror Classics and the Monster Times. And what was it? Fam- uh, Forrest Ackerman's famous Monsters of Filmland. Yes, all this stuff went to that you're house. With. I had I visited that house. You went to the Acker Mansion. I did. Yes, I did. Uh, and you, you know, it was amazing. Great memory of going through. I was just talking with a friend about that. It was really amazing. I we were just wondering. I wonder where all that stuff ended up. You know, we were wondering about it too. He sold some of it. Some yeah, a lot sold. Of it. I think a lot of stuff got stolen from. Oh, his probably the Basil yeah. Gogos paintings or Gogos paintings. A lot of yeah. them. A lot of them because Kirk has a lot of disposable income. Obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, he bought them. He you bought did? a lot oh. of the stuff from Forrest. You could probably, you I don't know if you're a collector of that stuff, but. I'll we'll, go check on, go knock on his door. Or we'll may hook, I just steal, we'll hook you steal up. them? <laughs> we'll hook you up. I just got a, a thing 
Who is it, I forget, who composed the Get Smart theme? Oh, uh, that was, um, hold on, our I researcher wa- here is I want to say, <laughs> not Vic Mizzy. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. Why I should know this off the top of my head. I know I should do. I'm embarrassed. I do you love the Munsters theme too? Oh yeah, was that Vic Mizzy? No, Vic Mizzy did the Adams Family. Wait, oh Vic Mizzy did Adams Family. I met him. You know that? I met him too. He was a friar. He was a New York. Yeah, I met him not long before he passed away. Yeah, great guy. Let's see. Irving, uh, Irving Sathmary. Yeah, Sathmary. Yes, yeah. yes. That is Bill Dana's brother. That is great. Oh, Bill Dana, right. the comedian. And that's his real name. Yes. And then what's his name? Um, uh, Mel Brooks directed that, didn't he? The, he created the it, him and Buck yeah, Henry. He created him and Buck Henry. Did yeah. that? Yeah. Did he direct it? I wonder. I don't who directed know. The pilot. That's some great but, uh, music. Oh, it's a, and it's some great. That's some great television, just overall. That's amazing. Did Hoyt Curtin do the Jetsons theme too? Because that's a great one. Yes, I believe he did actually. Yep. Uh, Hoyt, yeah, Hoyt did. Hoyt was a big Hanna Barbera guy. You right. know, he did a lot of stuff for that. That's another oh, story you'll have to tell well, us. That's next the other time. thing we got to tell too. We also got to talk about Scott Bradley, the the yes. unsung hero of yes. animation music, who did all the Tom and Jerry's. Yep. You know, Carl Stalin gets all the attention, and I love Carl, but Scott Bradley was also really amazing. And we have to talk about Joe Barbera because you worked on the last. I did. The I, last I worked the last thing that he worked on, yeah, which right. was amazing. Well, yeah, you got another another reason to come back and I, talk to I, us again. I'm ha- anytime. I'm happy to do this. This is what I do anyway when I just sit around <laughs> with my friends. So we're honored. Just why not? <laughs> will, you, will you send me the script? That, that, yes. I, that I gave you I in 1988. I got to get back into the shed and find it. So, yes, I'll do my best. <laughs> and say hi to your folks for me. Absolutely. I will. And, and one more question. <laughs> yes. yes. You, Counselor, let the guy go. He's got children. Do you, do, you agree, do you agree with Quincy Jones that Marlon Brando fucked Richard Pryor in the ass? Oh, stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Quincy Jones has met a lot of people in his time. I would imagine if uh, if he's saying it, I, I, I don't know. Then the question is, who did that to Quincy Jones that he's so upset exactly. that he's going around telling everyone else? Exactly. <laughs> Gilbert's dined out on that story for the last yes. for the last six weeks. So qu- quickly, plugs your website, michaeljacchino.com. Yes, uh, Incredibles two opens tomorrow as we are yes. recording this. And then Jurassic World is next week, I think, talking about monsters. There you go. Yes. And, and if you're and, into dinosaurs that eat people, you'll love Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what else is coming down the line? And, and we'll, um, I'm going to be doing a film ca- with with a, an old friend of mine, Drew Goddard, who wrote The Martian and wrote oh, and directed sure. Cabin in the Woods. Uh, it's called Bad Times at the El Royale. And has Jeff Bridges, John Hamm. has a lot of great actors in it. And, and uh, so I'm going to be doing that next. Heist movie? Yeah, it's kind of a noirish sort of. Check out the trailer. Okay. Bad times at the El Royale. It's really looks cool. You'll, okay. you'll love it. You'll Ma- dig it. Frank, did he send us something else to go out on? You can go out on whatever you want. We're gonna go out on. Uh, well, well, you had the, you had the old Incredibles things lined up. Might as well go we're there. Gonna, we're gonna do that, and next time right. we'll talk about all that stuff. Excellent. Come Happy to New to York. Come it. to New York, and we'll do it in person. Yeah, that would be fun. I would love to. Next time, I'll, I'll force myself upon you. And then Quincy Jones will go telling stories about it. 
<laughs> Mike, this was a kick. Thanks for having me. So like it was really great. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and reading a phonetically spelled <laughs> I out. I spelled it out for him phonetically. <laughs> I didn't want to happen when you got your Oscar. <laughs> Michael G. Aquino. Beautiful. <laughs> not not Giacchino, as they said at the Academy Awards. Well, it's funny. It could go either way. If you ask my grandfather, it was Giacchino. Oh, really? If you ask my, my brother John goes by Giacchino. So I it's heard... A, it, there's a rift in the family. You know, I heard Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor could go either way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, give our love to Patton. We'll, 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 we'll give do. your love to Richard Kind, who's a All big right. fan, who just wrote oh, me God, an email about it. you. Let's, and how let's much bring he... him in next time, too. Let's do one. Let's, let's we'll, do a Pixar, we'll do a Pixar episode. I would love it. That would be great. Absolute, let's do it. Absolutely. We'll do it next time. Thanks, buddy. Thank All right. We'll talk you. to you soon. Thanks again. Thanks again.